Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello everyone and welcome to La Liga Lowdown's Match Day 28 recap. This is the weekend after which we only have 10 rounds of fixtures left so we're very much getting into the business end of the season. I'm your host Matt Clark, and I'm joined by Sam Leverage. Sam, how are you? I'm good, thank you Matt. It's been a, a long weekend, not the most entertaining of results this weekend or at least until Barcelona came into action on Sunday night but, but yeah, no, it's been an interesting weekend. Yeah, we have to admit it's not been the greatest in terms of goal scoring or in terms of drama, but we'll do our best to bring you the absolute best of the action. And Sam, you yourself were, were at three separate games this weekend. You were at the Wanda on Friday night to see Atleti's win over Cadiz. Uh, you were then at Hetafe to see the, uh, the Bordelas return and the football champagne that was nil-nil. And then, of course, on Sunday, you were at Vallecas to see Rio's entertaining actually game with Sevilla and we'll hear from more on that game from Robbie Dunn coming up very soon but Sam if you just want to run through those three games first uh, and just your your general feelings of of those three matches yeah sure I mean Atletico Cadiz I mean Joao Felix scored after what two and a half minutes and at that point I think everyone in the ground was expecting Atleti to go to to walk away with it and make it look easy but they didn't um, not at all Cadiz were the better team in the first half especially I mean Atletico had Coque back in midfield completely lost the balance they've had with Jeffrey Gondogbia in there up until his injury and and you could really tell that Gondogbia wasn't there and that Coque wasn't the right replacement for Gondogbia and then obviously it was kind of just Atletico grinding out the result and I mean I was talking to some Cali fans after the game and it was very much a game where the difference in quality on the bench made the difference in the result because Atletico could bring on Luis Suarez, they could bring on Angel Correa and in the end that was what kind of made the difference. Then Hedafe Valencia, well I kind of deleted that 90 minutes from my memory, I don't think anybody ever wants to relive any of that, absolutely terrible. I can't remember the exact stats now but there's something like 40 fouls or something like that, 11 yellow cards, I mean it was one of those games that you just never want to have the misfortune to watch. And we were there in the in the Colosseum. It was just starting to rain. There's no roof on the stands. Just starting to rain as the injury time board went up of nine minutes. And the whole ground just seemed to grow. Nobody cared what the result was anymore. They just wanted to get home. And then Rayo Sevilla, which was kind of the polar opposite of that. I mean, it was a, a one-all draw, but it was very entertaining. VAR kind of very active again. Um, but yeah, I know. I think both teams were really going for it and trying to get the win, and, and in the end, neither one could. But both the teams had had chances to do that. So, 
yeah, a mixed bag of, of action in Madrid this weekend. It makes a nice change because often La Liga puts games like that. They put them back to back, three games in a row in the same city. So to have the three spread across three days was was a nice change to, to go ground hopping. Yeah, lovely window into the weekend of, of yourself and uh, and Madrid football. Uh, just to pick up on a couple of those points that you touched on there. Firstly, I think I think Bordelas will definitely want to see that game over again because for him, that's that's the purest form of football you can ever get, isn't it? Nil-nil with so many fouls and it's it seems like a perfect Bordelas uh, 90 minute or 99 minutes. I refuse to believe um, that just... even Bordelas can enjoy that 90 minutes. <laughs> well, we'd have to ask him, wouldn't we? But uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. Uh, just on, on Atleti, uh, obviously a big game against Manchester United coming up in the Champions League. 1-1 from the first leg. Atleti, much the better side, but without the reward of the result. Cristiano Ronaldo ominously scoring a hat-trick at the weekend in the Premier League as well. As an Atleti fan, how do you feel going into that second leg? Yeah, well, with Josema Jimenez getting injured as well against Cadiz, injuring himself with a brilliant goal line clearance. It's not great. The thought of Felipe going up against an inform, confident Cristiano Ronaldo is a little bit scary. Um, but no, I mean, Atletico in these Champions League nights, I mean, they've done it time and time again. They prove that no matter how much the odds are stacked against them, they'll they'll turn up. And in the first leg, everyone was expecting Manchester United to give them a bit of a shock. And Atletico were by far the te- better team. So I'd like to think that going away from home, they'll do an even better job of kind of seeing that result out. So quietly optimistic is perhaps the best way to describe it I'm not getting my hopes up too much but I really wouldn't be surprised if if Atleti do come out with with the pass to the next round mm, interesting well they did it at Anfield two years ago so yeah. anything is possible of course with Diego Simeone on European nights okay then now let's get some more in-depth on that game out of Vallecas then it was a big game for, for, for multiple reasons Rio on the back of a poor run of results Sevilla of course still trying to keep the pressure on Real Madrid as much as they could. Um, so let's hear from the uh, the author of um, the book on Rio Vallecano, uh, Robbie Dunn. He spoke to you, Sam, after the game. And I'm joined by Robbie Dunn, author of the best English language book there is about Rayo Vallecano. Hi, Robbie. How are you? I'm good, Sam. It's also the only English language Rayo Vallecano book, so still the best <laughs> it has one. To be the best. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Robbie, I mean, what do you make of that one-all draw with Sevilla? I mean, is that two points dropped for Rayo or one point gained? I would say it's one point gained because. Regardless of what happened on the field, Rayo will have been looking at that game thinking severe second in the table. They haven't been playing all that great in terms of getting goals. But under Julian Lopetegui, they're a formidable opponent. And Rayo, despite the early season hopes and aspirations we tied to them, this is a relegation contender. And I think Andoni Ariola has done excellently with them. But this is a this is a squad that probably, um, not not probably, they are fighting for relegation against relegation right now. So um, I think that it's it's a it's a point gain for Rio, regardless of what happened in the match when they when when the fixture list came out. This was a game that Rio will have been looking at, thinking a point here will do us, uh, <laughs> will be fine. 
Yeah, exactly. And you touched on it there. I mean, last time you were on the podcast was October. We were talking about Rio and the European charge. Now things are a bit different. No wins in 2022. I mean, what's gone wrong for Rio over the last two, three months? Yeah, the reality of it is, is that, as I said, this is, and, and I, I wasn't getting excited back then. I was thinking that this is just a, this is just a game of accumulating as many points as you can, as early as you can, and trying to maybe fight off relegation so you're not kind of dragged into it in the last three and four games of the season. I think Rio probably, um, they did as well as they could in the first half of the season, but, I, but they've shown now, and I know that the Copa del Rey run didn't really help them in that they were trying to kind of rest players and make sure that they were ready for that Betis two-legged tie in the semi-final. But um, I think the when you ask what's gone wrong, essentially this is a, I mean, as good as Iriola is, as good as Iriola is going to be, at the end of the day, you you have to be a, both lucky and an exceptional manager to outperform your resources. And Rayo Vallecano's resources are that of a relegation contender. That's the first thing. Um, and, and secondly, the fact that you have a president who who's, who's waging war on his own club, on his own fan base, on his own... I don't like to use this word, but on his own asset, it's like me buying a car and driving it into a wall. Like it's, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, even looking at the substitutes in in the game on Sunday, I mean, Sevilla ended the game with I think it was Anthony Martial, Yusuf Nezeri, and Rafa Mir up front, and Rayo has Sergi Guardiola on his own. I mean, there's no real comparison between the two, is there? But I mean, one area that has been kind of up for debate with the the players has been that Udayola has been kind of swapping his goalkeepers around. I mean, Luka Zidane had been starting and then Stol Dimitrievski was back in the team for Sevilla. I mean, why is it that Rayo haven't kind of settled on a first choice in the last few months? Well, I guess that <laughs> maybe the easy, sort of easy answer to that is when you've got two first-choice goalkeepers, it means you've got no first-choice goalkeeper, really. And I think neither player uh is is consistent enough in their in their performances to merit that and to and Dimitrievski was really good I think it was last season and he has been good in spells for Rayo but he does have that kind of underlying inconsistency that just doesn't work for a goalkeeper and Luka Zidane I, I think Luka Zidane's a really difficult goalkeeper to assess because he, he he has the name attached to him and and his dad was a number 10 and it's hard sometimes to for our brains or for my brain certainly to understand Lucas Zidane as a as a as a goalkeeper um and 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 sometimes if he makes a mistake that say maybe Mark Andre Terstegen makes I'd be looking oh that's Zidane he was he was kind of trying to do something too fancy or too flashy yeah, and I mean, cutting the touching on inconsistency and, and reputation, the goal scorer for Rio today was Bebe. I mean, no, is he Balaton, no Alvaro Garcia, but he was starting and he played pretty well for, for Rio and got the goal. I mean, how do you kind of define Bebe for anybody who hasn't watched him? He will offer you shots, he will offer you verticality, and, and that's it. And I think that he, he, he is certainly a strange one in that another guy whose reputation tends to precede him. You say the name Bebe to to, to any English uh, Premier League fan, Manchester United fan, they'll, be la they'll laugh first and be like, oh my God, what have, where is he? Like, what, what, how is he still playing the top flight? But in reality, Bebe has been consistent for Rio and consistent, consistent in the, in the very narrow scheme of what he does. And, and uh, I think that he probably 
is is um it has fallen victim to that poor spell at Manchester United, maybe poor recruiting or whatever. And uh, he, I, I interviewed him at the stadium a couple of years ago, and, and I think he kind of understands that. And he, I, I asked him about his Man United spell, and he just answered it really normally. Like he was like, they wanted me, they're Man United, I signed with them, didn't work out, so what? Exactly. So looking ahead, Robbie, I mean, next up is Atletico at home, but then it's Granada, Valencia, and Alaves, a bit more easy run for, for Rio. I mean, they should be okay. They shouldn't be safe to stay up this season, right? I think so. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's funny that the the way these things work, you get caught into this spiral of 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 doom and and bad results follow another bad result, and all of a sudden the walls start kind of closing in around you, and you're absolutely desperate. And that's why I say that point today against Sevilla was excellent or was was very good for for Rio because it kind of just stabilized things, stabilized things because they. Obviously, got knocked out of the Copa, which is a separate thing entirely. But they were on a really poor streak, and and I they played some excellent teams during that streak. So they were beaten by Celta Vigo, Betis, um, Real Madrid, and Celta Vigo. I know uh, they're not fighting for Europe at the moment, but they're an excellent side at, uh, at the, and they're playing really well. And they're the kind of team that really causes you problems. But I think throughout that spell, Rio have been playing quite well, and I think that. That's that speaks to how good Iraola is. He hasn't lost his cool, he hasn't lost the plot, he hasn't kind of just gone defensive. They're still playing quite well. And against Sevilla, they, they pushed him to the pin of their collar and they um they they, they continue to, to to play an expressive style of football. And I think it will be enough to 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 get them over the line and stay up this year, which is always and has always been the goal, I think, despite the noise from outside when they were going so well in the in the earlier part of the season. Yeah, I think everyone in Vallecas will take that. So thanks very much, Robbie. Thanks for your time. No worries, Sam. And let's hand back over to Matt for the, the rest of the action. Thank you very much, Robbie. Always great to hear from you. Um, yeah, so Sevilla, again, another draw. Um, that's too many draws now. Only Cadiz have drawn more in La Liga this season, and they've drawn the last five away from home in La Liga. Sam, it's just not, not enough to push for the title, is it? No, not at all. I mean, Julian Lopetegui was raging after the game about VAR and I think he had a point, to be honest, but at the same time, it was this handball rule that we've we've seen many times before. He won't be the only one to have been annoyed by it. And so, yeah, they need to stop looking for excuses and part, start picking up the points if they are going to finish second this season. I mean, Barcelona are hot on their heels. They're only five points behind, but they have a game in hand at home against Rayo Vallecano and... And you'd fancy them to win that one. If they win that, the difference is two points. And the next away game that Sevilla have, and we know how their away form is, is at Camp Nou. Um, so we could be here in two, three weeks' time with Barcelona in second in the table. And I think that's a bit of an indictment on the rest of the top teams in La Liga. Well, that's uh, quite a statement there, Samuel. Um, but yeah, I think you're probably right. Given the state they were in when Xavi came in, you either say the rest of the, the top teams have had poor seasons or you say Xavi's been remarkably impressive in his time at Barca, I guess, if you want to look at the glass half full take. Um, but yeah, 4-0 win for the Blaugrana. Uh, that's four times in the last six in a league that they scored four. Um, very impressive again. Uh, Ferran in amongst the goals. Dembele, fantastic. Even Ricky Puig got on the score sheet, so... Yeah, all, all going well for Barca. They've got a tough fixture list ahead, though. Galatasaray away 
they're going to have to win that one because they only drew the first leg. And then, of course, it's the Clasico at Santiago Bernabeu. And Real Madrid will want to extend their winning run in Clasicos, of course. Um, so, yeah, do you, do you see Barca as likely to be second best in the, table, in the league? Um, they're playing like second best, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. I think the win over Osasuna showed how far they came. I mean, we remember the two-all draw at El Salad. I mean, Barcelona looked like a very average team in that game. I mean, they had Eze Abdi was, was on the score sheet. I mean, Barca at that point were really relying on these youngsters and just seemed incapable of of playing to a, to a higher level. But this time they made it look easy to beat Osasuna. And you're kind of thinking what was going on earlier on this season and that quality and attack the players they brought in makes a massive difference. But they're playing the way that Xavi wants them to play and he's kind of installed that that philosophy now and and they look like a team playing with confidence as well. I mean, we saw Gavi playing like tricks and Rabonas and, and all sorts kind of in his own half trying to get out of a press. You think that's the kind of confidence that this team just didn't have earlier in the season, and and Xavi's kind of instilled that again. And a much could depend on these next few weeks, as we just said. I mean, they could end up second. Alternatively, they could lose in Turkey. They could lose the Clasico. They could lose against Sevilla, and suddenly maybe they're not even top four. So we can talk of how Barcelona and their form as much as we like, but this is the crunch time now where they have to win these games, and they did it last time. They had such an important game against Atletico, so. As a Barcelona fan, I think you could be pretty optimistic that they'll turn up for the big occasion again. But this is a lot of pressure on a very new squad who haven't had a lot of time to gel and a very young squad. We've seen kind of Ferran Torres is already a leading player in this team and he's a young guy who's not going to be used to taking that weight on his shoulders for a Clasico for for a decisive European tie. So let's see how they handle it. I think it's it's too close to call at the moment, but I think two more La Liga match days and we'll have a much clearer view of how the La Liga table is going to look at the top of the table. Setting us up for tuning in for the next couple of weeks nicely there, Sam. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, it's all still to be done. Very encouraging signs, but the work is still there to be done. Um, other teams in that race, we mentioned Atletico. Um, would you like to touch on them a little bit more? Uh, they've kind of, they're back in that top four after last week's win at Betis. They got that kind of grinding out 2-1 win over Cadiz. Not spectacular, but getting results, that's four wins in a row in the league. So getting back to some sort of Atleti that we're used to. Yeah, and I mean, let's not forget when we talk about Barcelona, but Atleti are on the same number of points as Barcelona. They have played an extra game, but they're on the same number of points. And I think I said it a few weeks ago when we talked about the top four race, and I said that for me, Atletico will grind out these results. And that's exactly what they've done since the Celta game, the Galiz game. They're grinding out these results not necessarily playing particularly well, but they're grinding out the results that they need to secure that top four spot. It's still very tight. I mean, Betis refused to to lie down and give up. But I think the quality and the squad depth will just about see Atletico go over the line. If they continue to progress in the Champions League, then, then maybe that will become a harder task. The same for Barcelona in the Europa League if they prioritise that. But I think the top four we have today will be the top four that we end the season with. You heard it here first, listeners. Sam has gone for the current top four, finishing in those top four positions. Uh, so yeah, Betis, as as you said there, uh, they were coming into this game five without a win in all competitions. They lost the first leg of the Europa last 16 tie against Eintracht Frankfurt 2-1. Um, but they did get a win, an important win, this Sunday against Athletic Club 1-0. Uh, the goal 
Coming in the first half from Borja Iglesias, uh, from across from the left from Juan Miranda. And it got a bit feisty in the second half. Uh, Nabil Fakir does as he's wont to do and found himself frustrated and lashed out and sent off. So he'll be missing for the next couple. Um, yeah, it's quite hard to read Betis at the moment because they've been so good this season. But yet, as you say, a couple of poor results and they could slip right out of the picture. Um, but uh, Manuel Pellegrini was back in his tracksuit, so all seemed okay today. Yeah, no, and Rui Silva back between the sticks, which was a big difference from Claudio Bravo. A clean sheet and a 1-0 win, I think. There might have been a bit of a connection between the two there. Um, and I thought he played really well. But, I mean, the the concern for Betis taking from that one is that Fekir and that red card, I mean, remains to be seen how many games will be suspended for, but he can face up, I think it's between 4 and 12 games suspension because the ball was out of play when he lashed out. Um, mm. uh, Ika and Mainayin and... And that could be a big blow to, to Betis's hopes. I mean, Sergio Canales has had a few injury issues in the last few weeks. And then you're suddenly relying, you're kind of relying on a team that is missing the two star playmaking attacking midfielders. But Betis do seem to have what they need to, to kind of cling on and, and secure that Europa League spot, if not kind of push for the top four. And, but I think they'll be ready if, if any of the top four currently do slip up. I mean, if Barcelona lose that Clasico, that game against Sevilla, if Atletico drop points needlessly as they have a few times, Betis are showing that they will keep the pace up and be ready to pounce. Yeah, it's a decent run of fixtures for them coming up before the Copa final. So you'd probably imagine them to be there or thereabouts still in the hunt as we head into May. Just a word on Fekir though, I, I did tweet this. I said, you know, he's a marvellous footballer, but he, he just loses his head too often. I know he gets kicked all over the park and I know that he doesn't get anywhere near the amount of fouls that he probably should. But at some point, he's just got to try and control his temper, hasn't he? Because it's going to cost Betis sooner or later, and obviously it has in previous seasons. But I was at five red cards now in just over 100 appearances. That's it's not a great ratio, is it? No, not at all. And he's such an important player for Betis as well. They can't afford to, to give him up. And Borja Iglesias said it after the game that, that they're the only team in Europe still competing in three different competitions at this stage in the season. So to lose a player of the importance of Fekir is unforgivable, whatever it may be. And so for it to be for something so stupid as lashing out, kicking out, down in the corner flag, when you're 1-0 up, I mean, there's no excuse for it. Yeah. So Betis, two points off the top four as it stands. Two points further back is Real Sociedad. They had a 1-0 win over Alaves. Again, a pretty uh, uneventful game, saving for Mikel Ayatabal's free kick which was headed in by Zubimendi. And then two points behind them is Villarreal, who had also a 1-0 win over Celta de Vigo. Important wins for, for those, of course, Villarreal, Betis and Real Sociedad all winning 1-0. Barca, far more impressively, 4-0. Um, yeah, so the state of play in the Champions League position is pretty much as you were, because all of 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th all winning this weekend. So uh, not a lot of change there, but... Of course, Sevilla, the massive kind of losers of the weekend in terms of the title race. Real Madrid could go 10 points clear on Monday night if they win at Mallorca. But we'll leave it there for part one. Stay tuned because we'll have plenty more coming your way, including all of the action from the relegation teams, uh, as well as we'll hear from Paco Pollet on Levante and we'll discuss our MVP and our moments of the week. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. It's our recap of match day 28 in La Liga Santander. And now we're going to turn our focus to the bottom half. And again, results are very much needed at this time of the season. Only 10 games to go. Teams that are struggling are running out of fixtures. Uh, one of those teams, of course, most at risk of relegation is, of course, Levante. Rock bottom of the table. They were taking on an Espanyol side who had only won once away from home all season. So it was an opportunity for Levante to get three points. But unfortunately for them, they were unable to do so. So let's check in with Paco Pollitt on what happened at the Ciudad de Valencia. He spoke with Sam. And I'm joined now by Paco Pollitt, who is covering the game live on Saturday, Levante and their one-all draw up against Espanyol. Paco, what are your feelings after that one? I mean, a draw, but should it have been a win for Levante in their battle against the drop? Yeah, possibly so. I believe that uh, at this point, when uh, Doom has been, you know, knocking at the door the whole season, Levante cannot rely on having a sliver of luck at uh, any point. And uh, we actually saw uh, that um, circumstance in that uh, 89th minute penalty, which was, in my view, pretty clear, you know, but the ref didn't decide uh, the call and and he didn't actually listen to uh, any of the orders coming from the uh, VAR room. But regarding uh, or regardless of, of that uh, last minute penalty, I think the Levante actually deserved the win. They had more um, dominance on the offense. Uh, actually, if you check out the stats at the end of the game, uh, they had more chances generated, shots on target. Uh, offsides, uh, corner kicks. I don't know. They they tried to to win the game, even though their uh, squad isn't at this point 100% um, healthy. You have uh, important players being out of the of the lineup. Um, they are suffering quite a lot at the back. That's you know something that's uh, become a template for for Levante and, and one of their main traits. Um, and Espanyol scored in the only real chance or. Actually, I would say the only real gift that uh, Levante's defence gave them. But definitely a, a good performance from Levante despite the result. I mean, just going back to that penalty, Paco, you touched on it there. I mean, Sergio Postigo tweeted after the game about the fact that anybody who'd played the game would have known that was a penalty. I mean, was it that clear a penalty for you? I mean, looking at it in live time, I wasn't entirely convinced. But then watching the replays, I could see that it was a pretty clear penalty. I mean, it was surprising that the referee didn't go and look at it, right? Yeah, because uh, it's like the typical, whenever you've played the game, uh, even in at an amateur level, and you have been a defender, as in my case, for example, there's that, that typical play when you are going at the ball and uh, the forward is going at the ball and whoever gets there first is going to be, uh, you know, brought down inside the box. Uh, if the defender makes the clearance, it's going to be a foul on his favor. But if the, defend, uh, if the uh, attacker has... It happened with with uh, Danny Gomez. Is a slight, tiny bit, millisecond quicker. He's going to touch the ball, get it out of the way, and what what happened was that uh, Cabrera ran him over. You know, uh, the, the, he was hit 
both uh, at the chest and uh, down on the knee. I don't remember what's the knee at the leg. I believe that the, the, the fall was clear inside the box. And in such a, an important play, I always believe, even though the uh, rules of the game, which are made up every single season and are changed every single season regarding this, this kind of plays and the, the use of the VAR, I believe that the referee should always look at this particular place. Because you're talking about a 90-minute penalty, a crucial play in the game, which changed the, the tide in one favor or the another. And at this point, Sam, we're talking about teams who are literally with their lives on the line. Yeah, and I mean, talking of luck, I mean, they had no luck at all to lose Jose Luis Morales to that knee injury against the Athletic Club last weekend. But I mean, Jorge de Frutos and his body played quite well at the weekend. I thought they were both quite lively. I mean... Do you think they can step up and replace kind of the Morales presence in attack? Yeah, I'd say that uh, De Frutos could be regarded as the MVP for the second half of the of the season so far uh, because of his, you know, consistency, uh, scoring and assisting, and also, you know, uh, helping in the in the front attack and uh, in, the, in the attacking front um, uh, with the high pressure. Uh, you know, he's an all-around player and he's uh, you know getting. Mm, I'd say interesting looks for, from other sides regarding next season because most of the Levante players, if the team gets relegated, are going to have release clauses at some, uh, to some extent. And, and Jorge de Frutos could be uh, you know, a very, very uh, tasty player in the market. And, and that's why uh, he's getting a, a big benefit from his uh, performances lately. But yeah, losing Jose Luis Morales... Is, is a big blow, not only because of uh, the goals he could score, which haven't been, you know, amazing this season, or the assists, but because he's, at the end of the day, he's a leader. He's, he's one of the, uh, you know, emblematic players for, for yeah, this exactly. for this squad. And, and that's why Levante definitely need this, this kind of players. You spoke about Bardi. I think he's not, he's not having a good year overall um, because of injuries, because of the many changes uh in the sidelines, I believe that uh, Paco Lopez had, uh, you know, uh, pinned him down in the perfect spot for him, in the perfect uh, tactical system for, for him. And when he was sacked and in came uh, Javi Pereira, you know, Bardi's mind got a bit jumbled. He didn't really know where to play. And later with Alessio Lisi, he's still trying to find his footing, uh, whatever he's he's placed in the in the lineup. And that's why I think he's not having the best the best season. Uh, and also he's not having uh, any luck with the set pieces. So yeah, I, I would say the Frutos is is mostly the the player to watch in Levante in the next following weeks. And uh, I think Levante's mm, tiny tiny chances of of salvation. Uh, are going to go through his, you know, his playing and his goals and his assists. Yeah, well, you said it there, Paco, tiny, tiny chances of salvation. I mean, can Levante stay up? No one would have thought it a couple of weeks ago, but they've had one defeat in their last five. I mean, they are in good form, better form than Alaves, or around the same kind of pace as Gadiz, better form than Granada, better form than Mallorca. I mean, can Levante achieve the impossible? I'd say it's going to be very tough for for a number of things. Uh, two of them come to mind. The first one, obviously, is that uh, the the schedule is going to be very, very challenging for them. After the game against um, uh, Espanyol, they are going to face Osasuna in match day 29. And later, they only have two more games with uh, teams that you could say that are of their league. 
I mean, uh, which are fighting for the uh, salvation and, and in the bottom half of the of the table, who are, I believe, uh, Alaves in the uh, second to last game of the season, and uh, also Granada Levante, which will take place mid mid April. Those two are the only ones where Levante could actually win the three points and you know de detract uh, a potential three points from the opposition. But the rest of the games. They are facing Villarreal, Barca, Sevilla, Valencia, Real Madrid, uh, Real Sociedad um, at home, Rayo Vallecano. They are closing the season in Vallecas. And that's why I believe that it's going to be very tough. It's true that Levante have showed against big sides that they can deliver if they have a good night. But uh, I think that the rest of the contenders for, for Salvation have um, much more you'd say palatable schedules and it's going to be easier for them to perform their own miracles uh, especially if you compare them to to what Levante have to face ahead yeah exactly so stay tuned to La Liga lowdown for the rest of the season I'm sure we'll have Paco on here crying either tears of happiness <laughs> or depression at the end of the season for Levante thanks very much Paco cheers mate thanks for that Paco uh, as we as we know, Levante fighting uh, a very hard battle there. They're now six points away from safety with that point. So it's still looking pretty tough for them, although not impossible. And they have definitely improved under Alessio Lishi. Elsewhere in the uh, relegation picture this weekend, we had a massively important direct duel between Granada and Elche at Nuevo Las Carmenes. It was uh, Ruben Torresilla who took charge of Granada after, of course, Robert Moreno was sacked last weekend. But uh, unfortunately for them, the goals and the points still didn't come. Elche winning 1-0 with a goal from Fidel. And, uh, and elsewhere, Alaves as well at the bottom, they fell to a 1-0 defeat away at Real Sociedad in a Basque derby there. Sam, what's your take on the relegation picture after this weekend? Is it still looking like the bottom three are the ones that are going to go? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Granada are the ones who are going to be most sweating and, and looking over their shoulder and, and maybe Cadiz are going to take something from this weekend I mean the game against Aleti obviously they didn't take any points but they can certainly kind of take some credit from that and some confidence and think that up against not so strong teams they'll be able to get better results so I mean it's all to play for there is a still a big battle on down at the bottom but I think Granada, Mallorca they're both not in great form and have that opportunity to slip into the bottom three if the bottom three do pick up form. And then as well, there's a couple of teams who are kind of floating around there. I mean, I think Elche are more or less safe now. Rayo, I think, have just got enough of a buffer. But Hetafe, I mean, their good form has dropped off a little bit and the fixture list is looking pretty tough for them. I mean, they've got Mallorca as their next home fixture. But then I think they face Real Madrid, Real Betis, Villarreal are kind of three of their next games. And so... Suddenly, we're looking at kind of Hetafe coming into May with not many more points than they've got now. So the pressure's certainly on. I think there is an opportunity for Cadiz. Um, Alaves, I'm not very confident of, and Levante either. But I think Cadiz do have a shot at survival. And there are kind of two or maybe even three teams, if we include Hetafe, who could be put back into that mix. Yeah, Hetafe now five games without a win in La Liga. So they're slipping at the wrong time. Next weekend, uh, well, of course, Mallorca take on Real Madrid tomorrow, so they'll take anything there as a bonus, you would think. Um, and next weekend, the, the early game on Saturday is huge. It's Alaves against Granada at Mendizorotha. 
Uh, well, leaving aside the, uh, the slightly negative performances of the weekend, let's look at the positive ones, and it is time for MVP. So then, Sam, who is your first pick this weekend? My first pick, just for the cult hero that he is, has to be Bebe. I mean, watching him at Vallecas, he's just one of those players who gets you up on your seat, and I think Robbie touched on it earlier in the podcast, and he's just a player who has a very specific role, but he's a player who will take players on and and just shoot, even though nobody else on the pitch would shoot from that position, and that's exactly where the goal came from. I mean, he turned Ludwig Augustinsson inside out, and... I won't say what I think of Ludwig Augustinsson because I don't think he's very good. But Bebe really made him look like a, a Sunday league defender. I mean, he was fantastic and, and just had that drive and, and that desire, which I think sometimes Rayo, I mean, they didn't have Isi Palazón, they didn't have Álvaro García, and they looked a little bit timid in attack. But, but Bebe was kind of like the, why, why are we holding back? Why aren't we going for it? He did it and then shot from a crazy angle and beat Bono. I mean, Bono's a very good goalkeeper. So for me, I mean, Bebe has to be up there because he was kind of the driving force behind Rio almost every time they moved forward with the ball. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, as, as you say, a cult hero and, and a nice to see him score again after that Golazzo in the Coppa, which was unfortunately to no avail. Um, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Dani Parejo, a very cultured central midfield player. I know last week I was telling Rory that Carlos Soler is kind of like the, the next Dani Parejo, if you like, at Valencia. Well... Well, this weekend, Manny Pareco showed that the, uh, the existing one is, is every bit as, as good as he always was. He scored the only goal in an important win for Villarreal. He, uh, he dominated the midfield, uh, created uh, three key passes, over 90% pass accuracy. Um, yeah, very important for them that, that, that he continues to tick that midfield along. And uh, yeah, he's such a great player to watch aesthetically. Um, and he'll be massive for them in midweek in Turin as well. So good for him to come into this game. Uh, on a very good positive note and also it was really nice to see him dedicate the goal to Alberto Moreno as well with the uh, with the shirt and the post-match interview too so yeah a really nice moment from him and, and a lovely goal too how about you for your your second pick my second pick I'm going to go for is Mendembele I think yeah Barcelona scored lots of goals and and okay I mean Ferran Torres got two that's worthy of a shout but was Mendembele is just a player who, let's not forget, I mean, what, six weeks ago, he had his coach, his president, other players kind of telling him to leave the club or he wouldn't ever play for the team again. And here he is, six weeks later, he's kind of become the star. I mean, we saw him come on against Athletic Club last time they played at Camp Nou in La Liga, um, made an instant impact. And then against Osasuna, he was set up both of the first two goals after the penalty. And, and he just has that quality, that kind of cutting edge, that pass, that vision, I think he's got that brilliant link-up play with Aubameyang that is helping Barcelona to get so much out of him since he's joined the club as well. And it's very hard to imagine now that Barcelona would not do whatever it takes almost to get Dembele to commit his future to the club because he's just become such an integral part of what Xavi is building and he fits Xavi's system. I mean, he is one of those wingers that, that Xavi wants, a quick, pacey winger who can get down the flank and and put deliveries into the box, and that's what Dembélé does. So, for me, kind of overcoming the obstacles he's had to overcome and producing these kind of performances regularly, because this isn't the first time we've spoken about him in the last few weeks, that's what makes him an MVP. And, and against Osasuna, I think it wouldn't have been quite as comfortable a win if there wasn't Ousmane Dembélé on the right flank. Last, but by no means least, I'm going to go with a goalkeeper. 
uh, Edgar Badia. We obviously said that Granada's attack is pretty toothless, but equally, the chances they did create, Edgar Badia was more than equal to it. Uh, again, a massively important win for Elche, away from home, clean sheet, never to be taken for granted for, for clubs in, in the position of Elche. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's remarkable to think that they started the season with Kiko Garcia in goal. Um, and yeah, Francisco came in and almost immediately said, right, yeah, Edgar, you're the goalkeeper for me. Sorry, Kiko, you're on the bench. Uh, and we saw last season how, how impressive Edgar Badia was. Uh, you know, swapped shirts with Lionel Messi at Camp Nou. And, um, and yeah, this season, since he's come back into the team, he saved two penalties uh, this season. And yeah, just an, an all-round good performance, solid performance. He, I think he breeds confidence into the defenders in front of him. Uh, we saw Mojica have a good game as well. And uh, yeah, Edche just seemed to be on a real kind of positive trajectory now. And uh, he's a good solid base for them in that team. So yeah, he, him for me is worthy of a spot too. There's quite a few good goalkeeping performances this weekend, it must be said. But uh, for me, Badia is probably, probably top of that tree. Um, so you can vote for your MVP on our Twitter poll on Monday as ever. So to end this podcast this week, it's time for some moments of the week. Um, Sam, you've got a lovely one from the Ciudad de Valencia, haven't you? Yeah, exactly that. So not something that happened during the action, but something that happened before kickoff. Kind of the, the honorary kickoff taker Levante this weekend was Artur Chapudia. I hope I pronounced that right. Who's a young boy who came from Ukraine. Um, he'd visited Ukraine before on kind of exchange visits and, and stayed with the family in, in Valencia. And he became a Levante fan after the, the family took him to go and watch a game there. And now, obviously, he's sadly had to leave Ukraine with everything going on there. And the, the family he'd been staying with before has kind of taken him in. And so he had the whole of the stadium, the Estadio de Valencia, giving him a standing ovation as he took the kickoff there in his full Levante tracksuit. And, and it was just one of those moments that was really nice to see. I mean, the news is so depressing at the moment and there's so much going on in the world. So to see everybody come together, see people in the stands with their Ukrainian flags and, and applauding this this young kid who was only, I think, about 10 years old, who's, who'd come over from Ukraine, had to leave both of his parents behind to, to come to Spain. And then to have the whole stadium applauding him was, was what football's all about, I guess. Yeah, just a, a lovely scene and a memory he will, he will have forever, uh, young Arthur there. So yeah, a fabulous moment. F for me, um, can't really compare, but I'll, I'll go with a footballing one. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ferran Torres uh, trying to score a hat-trick. Uh, Ricky Puch does amazingly well. He, his own shot is saved, he follows it up, and then he shows remarkable kind of... Uh, uh, delicate footwork to, to work the angle and, and score him for himself. But there's poor old Ferran open on the six yard box line, screaming for the ball to be squared because he has a simple tap in for his hat trick. Um, so, yeah, as good as it was for Ricky to score that goal, I, I did feel for Ferran. And of course, then he was hooked um, with the games coming up for Barca. So, I feel like Ferran probably deserved the hat trick on this occasion, but uh, not to be, not to be. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Paco and Robbie for their insight. Thank you, Sam. As always, uh, check out our content on illegallowdown.com. Follow us on Twitter for all the coverage this week. And yeah, we'll leave you with some commentary scenes uh, from the Ciudad de Valencia as, as young Arthur there gets a, a fabulous ovation. So thanks everyone. Bye for now.
Sí, ¿qué tal? Saludos a todos y muy buenas tardes desde el Ciutat, con probablemente la imagen del aficionado más feliz de todos los del Ciutat de Valencia. Artur Chupira vino el lunes en un autobús de refugiados, el primero que salió desde Ucrania, estuvo en ese búnker y ayer conoció el Ciutat de Valencia.